0: Hey there! We're the Westlaw Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John McCall. and I'm Eric Sciaspo. Well, gentlemen, um, it's been a minute. I uh, hope everyone had a nice, at least restful, as much as restful June as you could have possibly had in in, in this time. In the, in this day and age. Yeah. Um, but, uh, we're back and we, you know, all rested up, all recharged and, uh, we've been hard at work on our, uh, summer previews, which will be dropping uh, imminently. Um, as we, be- as we're going to begin talking, uh, about the teams Northwestern will not play, uh, this year. Um, we'll start with Rutgers and Indiana. We'll get Sam, into, I thought those you were going to
1: say that we that we were that we were um, trying to survive our children. We'd been hard at work surviving our children.
0: Well, that too, uh, of course. Yeah. I mean.
2: I, also, right. I, also, I was going to say, Sam. Yeah, right. There. It's almost like you alluded to it without meaning to allude to it. We're going to start by talking about the teams. North in the Big Ten, Northwestern will not play this year, which we really hope is capped at four teams. Yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of where we are right now. But I think, again, there's there's kind of a couple things we really wanted to talk about, um, obviously, uh, because they're you know, they've just been huge, momentous things that are very much worthy of talk um, of touching on in the northwestern community and outside the northwestern community. One thing that I, I did want to say off the top and, you know, I just alluded to it. And obviously, there's this really unsettled situation relative to where college football is is going to go um we're very aware of that we're aware of all the moving parts of that we know you guys are all too with respect to the team previews though i think it's really important for us and also we hope for you guys too to just be able to have have some meat on the bone to just take a bite out of relative to all of these teams we really hope that the stars align and that there is able to be football this fall and that it's safe for the players this fall um, and that, that that we can do it and that there's a feasible way to do it and a way that works for everybody. Um, we're not morons. We know that this is a dicey situation. But I think at least for the respect to the team previews, we're going to act as if here we're going to act as if this is coming together and it's not some head in the sand kind of thing. It's because a we hope that that this is, all works out the right way but also we know that with everything else going on in the world positive and negative a lot of you guys want to talk football and we do too and this is a way to kind of to focus on the nuts and bolts of that so you know i just wanted to say that and that's that's where we are heading into the previews and with respect to those previews it'll be nice to really just talk big 10 football but you know we know there's a lot of other stuff going on in the world there's there's uncertainty we're aware of all that yeah
1: well said john I mean, I think the other thing that's interesting and that's really emerged relative to that this week um, that I know I I wanted to at least briefly touch on is as the the unions of the NBA, the NFL, the NHL and MLB are in, you know, intense discussions, both amongst themselves, uh, amongst the players, and then with the leadership of their leagues trying to figure out. How the hell they're gonna they're gonna approach things and do things in the right way and 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 you know safeguard players and incentivize you know everybody to act um to act accordingly wear masks not not go out you know that sort of stuff a a obvious major concern that I've seen a lot of players tweeting about a, a lot of media folk are talking about it, but college football players do not have a union they do not have um guarantees they're not getting financially compensated for for putting themselves at risk to play football let alone with with all the covid stuff so there's just a lot of questions out there and and i think um this is this is becoming a a a talking point and i think the reason i mean the reason i want to bri- wanted to bring it up we don't know what's going to happen we don't we don't know what should happen i think as, as john just said and, and well put by the way john um like the safety of of the players and the coaching staffs um, and the and the training staffs that's that's the most important thing um you know we're really hopeful that there's football this fall uh, or at some point but but the safety of those folks that are involved is paramount right um, but secondarily the the really i mean we're in a momentous time right now in a lot of different ways in our culture and our country and something that has been very apparent in the last two months is the emerging power of the student athlete in, in ways that have not been manifest before. And it's, and it's been mostly tied in with social justice and addressing, you know, some of these, um, long, long storied, uh, symbols at, at schools, songs in the case of Texas, um, and other things that are tied to racism and, 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 or, or the confederacy, um, and carry emotional pain and hurt for people uh, for, for, for some people, you know? Um, so what we've seen with, you know, Chubba Hubbard at Oklahoma state, speaking out against his coach and the coaching staff, the, the changes that have come out there, the athletic director announced today, basically said like the coach needs to form more like healthier relationships with his players because he's out of touch. Um, you saw at Florida state uh, players, players, you know, boycott practices um, based on some of the the media stories that were out there about the communication that had been had been directed to them around COVID. I mean, that's not related to the social justice stuff, but that was maybe maybe the first domino. Um, but then you see Hubbard, you see that the Texas players in active discussions with with their administration around um, the song uh, Song Eyes of Texas are upon you. Uh, some of the the names and statues that are prominently featured around campus. You've seen what's happened at Iowa with uh, players speaking out against uh, treatment from the the um, the strength coach, uh, and then now oh, you former seen strength Wadley, coach, yeah, 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 formal strength coach, strength strength coach. Thankfully, and now you've seen Akram Wadley and uh, and other running backs um, talking about other coaches, particularly Brian Ferentz. Um, you've you've got uh, what's going on with Texas A&M. Kellen Mond is uh, the quarterback. There is um try, trying to educate the the Aggie fan base uh single handedly about the, the history of of some of their revered figures. And I, I know I'm forgetting a bunch of other ones, but um the 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 biggest one to me, I think, is what um Kylan Hill did at Mississippi State where he basically came out and said, I'm not gonna play until I'm not gonna support the state. I'm not gonna play for the state of Mississippi until they take down this the flag, which which contains the Confederate flag within it. Um, that flag was taken down earlier this week. It's just, it's, it's incredible to see, frankly, um, the, the power that these guys are realizing and, and, and what they're like, how they're standing up and, uh, speaking out and leveraging that power. And it is, it is going to be a fascinating, you know, next six months, um, leading up to and going through the season to, to see how, how these things play out.
0: And, and what's really interesting, Scuzz, is that, um, you know, you, you've got a situation, all, all these situations that you talked about, um, and you, you kind of look at the professional leagues and you talk about like the players unions for baseball, uh, football, NFL, hockey, basketball and, and their relationship with their respective, you know, commissioners and owners and whatnot. That doesn't exist on either end. In college, I mean, there's, there's no advocate yeah. for the players, but there's also no, like, I mean, the NCAA has zero teeth in, in any of this. I mean, like there, there's no overarching, um, governing body that can say for everyone, or, you know, for all the schools, this is what's going to happen. This is our policy on COVID. This is how we're going to, Approach, I mean, this is all being done on a, like a school by school, state by state level. So, you know, e- even if there was, I think, uh, a, a union for college football, which, you know, and that's a whole other story that, that we can talk about. Um, there's no one for them to really bargain with, like on the other side of the table. So it's like the, the college it's, it's sports, 130 individual conversations. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's just, it's very bizarre. And like, we're going to see as we move forward, as we get closer and closer to what we all hope is going to be the start of college football season, um, we're going to see those negotiations. We're going to see how each school is going to approach things. I mean, I just saw today that USC is probably not going to bring their students back to campus for the fall. Like it's all going to be done virtual at USC. What does that mean for, for USC football? You know, will the, you know, the players be able to come back to campus if no one else is there? I mean, who knows? I mean, there's so much that we, we just don't know. And yeah, it's going to be wild. It is. And I think it's so interesting to
2: to talk about the intersection, right, of this theoretical need for a union and also like the fight for a union and all the talk that's going on right now and to kind of rewind right to the Kane Coulter, um, the whole Kane Coulter era um, and situation at Northwestern and everything that he was trying to do and is still trying to do today. And it's amazing to to look at, like I said, the convergence of this this player empowerment, particularly African-American players, right, finding their voice um, and And really using it and and you know like the examples that scuzz gave to amazing effect, bringing about incredible change and I think it's it's wild to look at and you know that includes northwestern athletes and I know you know uh um, scuds, you retweeted um a couple of things, and I'm forgetting exactly the names, but you know one way that northwestern players have um you know, contributed their voice was, you know, people talking about, do you ever wear your school colors? You know, when you're just around town for basically because if a policeman sees you, he's that much less likely to stop you or that much less likely to consider you a threat because you're representing the university. And I, I, I feel bad that I'm forgetting the names, but a couple of Northwestern players chimed in and were like, absolutely. I do this all the time. And I think, that's it's one of those things where it hit me for a couple of different ways. Um, one, because I could juxtapose it with the Kane Coulter situation and be like one of the things that was kind of seemed so apparent, even if it wasn't that way in the program. and I want to stress that. But there was the perception and in some ways perse- you know persists to this day that Kane was kind of on an island. And that Kane wasn't just up against Northwestern culture. He was up against college football culture, which is very much like what goes on in the locker room stays in the locker room. You know, the family in that locker room is the most important thing. And that was something that he really had to fight. And again, that wasn't a Northwestern thing. It was a national thing. But you kind of think, what would, what would that exact same set of circumstances have played out like if it was in today's era where... I mean, because keep in mind, right, again, things outside of Northwestern, but you have a guy like Akron Wadley who's referring to his time at Iowa as a living nightmare. And he's like a star player. And he didn't say a peep the entire time he's at Iowa. Right. And he was a football player since Kane Coulter. So it's just that idea of that whole overarching culture. And, and the second part of the Northwestern thing where it's just like, you know, the idea that that. And again, this—it's not just Northwestern, but Northwestern, of course, has a really high-profile football player who was killed by a police yeah. officer, Bobby Russ. Um, and um, Inside N U Davis Rich, Inside N U, you know, last summer ran an excellent piece on that, and then Inside N U reran it um, this spring. And, uh, but I mean, just such a you know a tragic event. And again, we don't a hundred percent know the. The details we don't 100 percent know, right, just like we don't 100 percent know in so many situations um, of police violence over the years. But that's the point, that there are so many situations. And now we do know, of course, um, that so many of these things were unjustified and this was always a really murky situation. And it's just all those things coming together and being like it's – now to see players in Northwestern and outside of Northwestern stepping up, whether it's police brutality, whether it's just general justice on their campuses um, and whether it's just overarching social justice or really finding their voices. And now I look forward and I'm like, you know, when, you know, as literally right now, these union things are being visited on Capitol Hill and they're going to continue to re- be revisited. But I think. It definitely, you know, I think we're on the record as being very in favor of athlete empowerment, being very in favor of athletes, you know, ability, whether it's to unionize or otherwise to make money off of their licenses. Um, And you at least do get the feeling that athletes are not going to be silenced right now and that are going to have a level of leverage and a level of voice that they didn't have, you know, relative to unionization going forward. Yeah, the, the guys John you were referring to is Cam Cairo and uh, and
1: Nate Hall were the two primary ones I saw. I know if Fadia Adenabo has talked a lot, um, yeah, from from early on, especially you know being being with the Minnesota Vikings and in response to you know the George the George Floyd killing was um, was active in in protests in Minnesota um, and, and here has, in Chicago, and, yeah, and, and has been speaking out a lot um, about about his experience. Um, and I think as, as a white male with, with plenty of privilege, I'm, I'm, I, all I'm going to say at this stage is I implore everybody out there to, to listen, listen to the black voices that are speaking right now and,
0: and hear them and learn. That's, that's the number one thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, no easy way to transition, uh, to some you know Northwestern news. So we'll just awkwardly uh, transition to a little basketball news. Um, the 2021 uh, class is starting to come together for uh, for Northwestern men's basketball. Um, got a couple recruits uh, commit in uh, at the latter part of June. Uh, Brooks Barnheiser and Casey Simmons uh, to go along with Julian Roper, who I, I believe we discussed uh, a month or so ago. But now all of a sudden Northwestern's got three guys who are two of them in the rivals top 150. Um, you know, rivals has them as sort of three star guys, but some of them are kind of fringe four star. These are talented guys coming in and, you know, it's really, really interesting.
2: It is. And, and you know, to everything that we've said before and, and, you know, relative to the the team previews and everything, it's it's great after a spring that sadly was devoid of of spring sports, especially our fantastic women's spring sports teams to be able to just really take a bite out of some Northwestern sports content. So let's do it. Um, uh, it's it's funny. You know, one of the things we've talked about with Collins over the years, he's an awesome recruiter. It's not like he ever stopped being an awesome recruiter. This is a guy who, with no bona fides, sold Vic Law on the prospect of coming uh, to Northwestern and sold Brian McIntosh and built that amazing team and then has really solidly recruited high three-star and four-star guys. Um, It's the development of a lot of those guys in the post-tourney era that has been the giant problem, and that makes this a fascinating class. Um, we've talked about Roper before. I absolutely love him. He's like a meaner Jordan Lathan. Um, and you know, just on the court attitude, the way he plays the edge he plays with and his size and ability to play the point. These are all things we desperately need. Um, Bart Heiser is really interesting. What I'd say the obvious comp is Miller um, and just similar size, similar kind of game. Um, I don't know, and I would happily eat my words. I don't know if Barnheiser's quite the player, Cop is, um, but they certainly have the same kind of game. Um, is is and, anyone
1: else terrified that Miller Cop's going to transfer? Every time I, I see a video of him working out with like NBA I, players and stuff, I'm like,
2: oh god, oh god, please stay. I, please stay. <laughs> I just like, I I know. I mean, like Miller Cop's soul is sixth man or first guy off the bench for a Final Four team. I mean, that's that's. That's that guy's DNA, and instead he's been running our offense really for a solid year. I mean, and that's – but again, we all have eyes wide open on this team, and player development's been a real issue. And that player, is – player retention too. Yeah,
0: we, exactly.
2: Have we talked right.
1: about Jared Jones um, transferring?
2: I mean like just another in a long line, right? right? Right, and I think that to me is where we arrive at Casey Simmons um, with a bullet. Casey Simmons is a fascinating player to, to watch. I encourage you guys, go watch his film. He's all arms and legs. He is this gangly super athlete. Um, he, You watch him, he's 6'6", a buck 75, Whoa. and looks it. Okay? He looks it. All arms and legs. And you look at this guy and you're like, that guy's the best athlete on the floor times 10. Um He is raw and he's really, you know, he's really thin. He's an unbelievable athlete and you can look at him and see sky high potential. This is a guy who could put on 30 pounds, um, grow another inch or two and be a prototype NBA three. And that's the reason that, you know, I think some sites have him ranked higher. Some sites have him as a four star, but he's every bit the you know arrivals 150 player which he is um on potential alone and that is the rub right because if i watch him i would say if you're looking for a northwestern comp the northwestern comp would be he's a guard version of pete nance and i don't mean that as a negative i mean that as pete nance's high school tape was awesome That's why he's the highest ranked Northwestern recruit of all time because he was 6'9 and could dribble and get his own shot like a guard. And Simmons is like a guard version of that. He's raw, but his talent is clearly – potential is clearly off the charts. And that's the issue because these guys have been showing up at Northwestern and then for whatever reason are not taking the next step. Um, And Collins, God bless him continues to recruit, and I should say, not just Collins, um, the whole staff. Simmons talked to Louis Vaqueror about this, I think, and mentioned that Emmanuel Dildy showed up um, at a game, in, I assume, in Massachusetts, where Simmons was hurt, and he wasn't even going to play, and that was known. And he looked and he saw a Northwestern coach in the stands, and that made a massive impact on him and was one of the things that led him. So, I mean, like this staff is, they go to work. These guys are an awesome group of recruiters, and that starts with Collins. It's, it's the question. All right, once these guys get to campus, what can we do to take the next step?
1: Yeah, I, I and I don't know, right? Like, pa- Pardon is the last player we've seen really develop in this, in this system. Like, I mean, like, Vic Law certainly as well, but, um, there's been so many guys that, that just haven't. And I mean, you wonder we lost Patrick Baldwin to Milwaukee. That to me, that's almost like like a demarcation line in, in, in what's been going on. But I mean, the other thing, like there's, there's clearly a strategy that um, Collins employs that is maybe a little unsavory. It's um, well, it's probably, it's probably unsavory. Let's just say it um, that, was not Carmody's style but we are we're at or over the scholarship limit already for not next year but the year after is that true and we're I we're almost so. kind of, like we're I, banking on at least a player or two to decide not to come back like ugh, yeah, that doesn't like, feel it, great
0: yeah and you know is there room for Pat Baldwin Jr. in, in this class yeah. you know as it stands with the scholarships that we have I mean, I I I get that this is
1: this is what it takes to compete in college basketball, or at least this is like the norm in college basketball. I don't like it. I don't like it at all.
2: Yeah, and I think too, it's it's certainly a really it's certainly a really weird situation because we know the team that we have, right? We know the team that we went to war with last season. Yes, there were some young guys. Um, Ryan Young is a guy who, you know, we felt was kind of misused throughout the season. We saw a lot of potential there. Certainly potential with several players and a capable guy who, like we said, you you know, is really should be first guy off the bench for a Final Four team um, running things in Miller Cop. Um, And then you can look at Ty Berry coming in and be like, this is great, but the reality is the team the last two years has been just a train wreck overall and you can look at this 2020 and 2021 class and be like well geez by the time these two classes are on campus if barry is the real deal and roper is the real deal next to him that's a potential dynamic backcourt for a team that's been sorely starved of guards um and then you can look at the other guys. I mean, whether it's Barnheiser, whether it's Casey Simmons, and be like, some of these guys really develop. Okay, there's the nucleus of of another generation of awesome team there. On the other hand, if this team face plants again this coming season, is Chris Collins even going to be here to oversee this group of guys? So it's it's a weird situation. Um, it's a fascinating situation because, like we said, he continues to recruit um at this really high level um in the face of on court performance and you know we are as fascinated as you all are to see where this all goes
0: so um yeah there there's so much more to talk about and like we could really keep going and going and going on all of these things uh all night long. Um but you know I, I think we do have some previews to get into so We'll go ahead and leave it there as far as the news and notes for, uh, for this week. Um, as we get into our previews, obviously we'll come back with, uh, other regular episodes, uh, as events warrant. Um, you know, news is changing all the time. So, uh, we're going to try to stay as nimble as we can in order to give our thoughts on that uh, to you guys. So, um, with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Westlaw Pirates, and you can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics, and look for us in the Westlaw of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scouts, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.